Well, for those uh, who uh, may not have been here, we are in uh, week two of a series we're doing in the lead up to Easter in the book of Ephesians, a great book full of um, uh, lots of encouragement for us as we seek to live out our lives as Christians uh, in the here and now. And we saw as we started last week this idea, this big idea that Paul is trying to uh, get across that we have been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. And we saw in the opening half of chapter one, which we looked at last week, how Paul opens the letter by praising God for the reality of the Ephesian, uh, Ephesian church as Christians as being people who've been raised with Christ and all these things that are real uh, about them because of that that they've been chosen to be holy and blameless, we saw in verse 4, that they are God's children uh, in verses 5 and 6, that they've been redeemed and forgiven through Jesus' blood in verses 7 and 8, uh, that they are uh, members of uh, Christ by faith in verse 13, and that they've been given the Holy Spirit to make as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance as, as the Holy Spirit in sh uh, making them aware and, and making real for them the, these spiritual truths that they have in Christ and empowering them to live them out, to live the resurrection life. And if he was praising God uh, in the opening half of this opening chapter of Ephesians for all that God has done for the Ephesians in Christ, then now he turns his mind to praying that given that's true, given all those things, uh, spiritual realities done and dusted for them in Christ and accessed by the Ephesians through faith, this week he prays that they would grasp truly, deeply in their heads and their hearts the reality of these blessings they have in Christ. And actually, I think what we see uh, is throughout this chapter, Paul holding together a tension that we need to hold together too. That is, we must keep remembering and praising God that in Christ, all spiritual blessings are ours, that we have been raised with Christ and that that is true and it is done. And yet... We need to keep praying that we will know the fullness of that and experience the fullness of that more and more as we seek to live out our lives. That is, we need to ask God to help us to live as we've been made in Christ, to live the resurrection life we've been raised into. And in our lives, we need to keep these things together too. Praise for who we are and for what God has done and prayer that we'll understand this more fully and live this out more and more in our lives. It's like, if you like, the relationship between justification, what God has done for us in Christ, and sanctification, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus until one day Jesus comes back and uh, the tension between what is and what will be goes away. We've been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. So if we, last week we were thinking about praise for what God, God has done, this week we're thinking about 
prayer for God to continue working in our lives. And we see first, don't we, that Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is motivated by the fact that he knows them and what he's heard about them. Have a look at verses 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. As Paul's praise God for uh, who they are in Christ, he now gives thanks to God for the way this is evident in the way they live out their faith. He praises them for their faith and their love. And Paul constantly is linking together faith and love in all the letters he wrote in the New Testament. He often uh, includes hope as well, which we actually see in verse 18 is not too far away from the mention of faith and love here in verses 15 and 16. But I think what is important to note here is that their faith in Jesus Christ has produced not just a love for God, but a love for one another as well. And that ought to be the fruit of our faith too. That we don't just love God in isolation, but that we love one another. Our fellow brothers and sisters here at church, but also those we don't know. Our fellow brothers and sisters throughout Hobart, Tasmania, Australia and the rest of the world. One of the remarkable things about being a Christian is the deep connection that we have with other Christians. It was perhaps one of the more remarkable experiences I had uh, the first time I went to Cambodia when I discovered a deep connection with my brothers and sisters in Christ that cross cultural and language barriers. I could sit in church as they spoke entirely in Khmer, of which I know two words, Jim Ripsu, and yet I knew in my heart we were worshipping God together. And the translator helped a little bit as well, secondarily, but there's a deep connection that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Faith produces love one for the other. And of course, isn't it wonderful that in this church, as I pray for us as our pastor, I can give thanks for the way I see faith producing love. It is wonderful to know the different ways that you all look out for each other that you care for one another, that you visit uh, each other, that you uh, look out for one another when times are tough, that you surround one another in prayer and with acts of physical support. If you're new or visiting today, let me say, it's a great place to come to church. We love each other well. We're not perfect, of course. Let me say that right up front. But it is wonderful to see this at work. May it continue and may it expand, not just love one for another, but love for all God's people everywhere. Let's challenge ourselves to have our faith and love continue to grow in 2024. 
But Paul's prayer doesn't just end there with giving thanks. He prays for a deepening of their faith. He prays for their life to uh, at their life and faith to grow. We see that in verse 17, don't we, where he prays for a knowledge of God. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is the path to Christian growth and maturity, growing in our knowledge of God. And what happens when we grow in our knowledge of God is we become more like him. Knowledge of God is different to other knowledge. It has this transformative effect on all of our lives. As John Stott says, a great English pastor, growth in knowledge is indispensable to growth in holiness. They go together. As we seek to become more like Jesus, we, are, we need to ask God to reveal himself to us. And as he does that, we will grow in our knowledge and in our holiness. And Paul's praying that we would know God in a deep and a true and a growing way. I think uh, it's useful if I give an example of the kind of knowledge Paul's not calling us to have here. Uh, once upon a time, uh, I was a young sports-mad lad, uh, and that meant that I knew a lot about the Australian cricket team. I know a lot less about them now, but back when I was younger, uh, I knew a lot. I knew their names. I knew their wife's names, if they had one. I knew their kids' names. I knew their averages. I knew their highest scores. I knew all there was to know about the Australian cricket team. And one day, I was running a camp in Melbourne that was sponsored by an insurance company. And the insurance company happened to also sponsor this bloke called Justin Langer who, if you don't know anything about sport, uh, used to open the batting for Australia right when I was right into cricket. And so they arranged for Justin Langer to come to my camp uh, and to talk about uh, his faith uh, and his sporting career, which, of course, I thought was exceptionally cool. Uh, and so uh, Justin Langer arrives uh, at my campsite uh, and uh, as he goes, I'm running this camp, so it's my job to go out. Uh, and so I go out and I meet him. And uh, he says, hello, my name's Justin. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I know, right? And I also know that your wife's name's Cindy and your kids' names are Bill and Fred. Uh, your batting average is 52. Uh, and, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't, I didn't, I, I, that, that seemed a bit stalkerish. So I just said, oh, hi, my name's Chris. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we met each other. Now, why I tell this story is because I think it illustrates the different kind of knowledge there's a knowledge about someone 
and there's the knowledge of someone. And what Paul wants us to have is not to know the facts and figures of God. He doesn't want us to know uh, all, all the different things that there is to know about God in our heads. He wants us to know God, to really know him, to know him in the context of relationship, like the way we know people we really know. We know facts about them, their eye colour, their hair colour, how good they are at cooking or whatever it might be. We also know their heart. We know who they really are. And that's the kind of knowledge of God that Paul's praying the Spirit would give the Ephesians and that we want to have of God deep, intimate, true knowledge that is transformative, not just a collection of theological facts that we learn in abstraction in in an ivy tower somewhere. We want to really, truly know God. And Paul continues to to pray that we would not only know God, but that as we get to know him, we would know our place in his story. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul wants the Ephesians to know more about the hope to which he has called them, their their place in God's unfolding story. He wants them to know it through the eyes of their heart. That is uh, 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 the first century way of saying he wants them to know it deeply, truly, transformatively. What is the nature of their place in God's story? What is the nature of this hopeful calling that he wants them to comprehend so completely? It's their glorious inheritance, isn't it? The riches of his glorious glorious inheritance in his holy people. And what is that? Well, it's those things he's praised God for in the first half of the chapter, isn't it? It's the fact that they've been chosen to be holy and blameless, that they've been made children of God, that they've been redeemed and forgiven, that they've been included in Christ and that they've been given the Holy Spirit. And you might remember that in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what? Our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have an inheritance in Christ. That is, there's a sure and certain future for us as we get to know God and understand who he is and what he's done for us. Now, when I was growing up, there was a uh, rather famous celebrity called Paris Hilton. You might remember her. She uh, was famous because she was famous, that's right. But the, I think the reason she was famous because she was famous was because of her inheritance. She was called Paris Hilton, and the Hilton part of that name uh, was connected to the fact that she was the granddaughter or great-granddaughter or something like that of the founder of the Hilton Hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you'll know why she's so rich. And her inheritance 
loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of cash, is why she was known and it was the sh it's what shaped her life. It was her ticket to all the parties she went to uh, and no doubt her hope was in her large inheritance. She didn't need to work, she could just party and be famous. Well, our inheritance ought to shape our life too as God's people. Our inheritance ought to be the thing we bank on too as God's people. And Paul's prayer is that the Ephesians and that therefore are, we would, would do this, would know the hope of our inheritance, the promise of God's future. As the year progresses, may we know the great hope of being called by God to receive his inheritance, his gift of salvation and his spirit to empower us to live new lives in him more and more. It can be so easy as the days and weeks and years roll on for our hope to move from God to someone or to something else. It can be easy for us as a church to hope in our plans or our buildings or our family or our friends or our community. But we need to anchor our hope not in those good things, not in our own abilities, but rather in God himself and what he's done for us in Christ and what he's promised for us. Know God deeply. Know our place in his story. Trust in our inheritance. And then Paul concludes his prayer by praying the Ephesians, know one more thing, the power of God. Verse 19 to 23. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and, at, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels everything in every way. As we think about the inheritance we have in Christ, there's a sense in which, uh, like an earthly inheritance, we have to wait a little for its ultimate re uh, um, coming of age. You have to wait for your inheritance unless you're willing to arrange the untimely death of someone you're related to. And in Christ, there's a sense in which we too have to wait. We've been made holy and blameless in him, and yet we await the full realisation of that hope when Christ returns. We are God's children now, yet we await a time where we experience that without sin. Jesus has defeated sin and death on the cross and we've been raised in him in, in, for, to live a resurrection life and yet we feel, still face death, persecution and suffering and we need to wait until we, we receive all God's promises and blessings in full, our full inheritance. And so Paul prays for a knowledge of God's power 
so that believers in Ephesus and us today could have our faith sustained while we wait. And what kind of power is it? It's resurrection power. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. Death is a shocking thing. We're pretty good at pushing it off to one side and not thinking about it. But death comes to every, each and every single person that we know and it'll come to each and every single person in this room unless Christ returns first. And our faith knows that that's not the end of the story that we have a faith in a God who has beaten death. We have a God who is powerful to raise the dead. And we have a God who not only raises the dead, but who rules and reigns over this world. We follow the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And he is a God that not only has resurrecting power, but ruling power. He rules over this world perfectly, and he rules over every power and dominion or name that can be invoked. There is no other name that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. And so we can trust him, we can rely on him, and he will never let us down. Our inheritance is secure because of who he is because of what he's done. Well, Paul wants the church, the body of Christ, whom Christ is their powerful head, to know this death-defeating, world-ruling power. And he wants them to be filled by the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, as you sit here today, do you know like really know, not just know about the resurrected king, the ruling king, Jesus. Do you trust in his power? It can be difficult, I think, for us as Christians in the West to uh, really believe that Jesus is Lord and King of Kings and ruler of this world. As Christians in our part of the world, we see churches close, congregations shrink, uh, num numbers decrease on the census every five years, Christian influence in society wane, persecution increase, and it can be easy to lose perspective. We live in Hobart, lovely city, and yet every winter it glorifies pagan gods as it marches them down the street and we all put our fears in them and get them burnt away. We live in a society that encourages all sorts of unspeakable acts and even legalises them a society that is out to confuse our young people about their identity and thinks that they're doing a good job. There's lots to be worried about, lots to be fearful of, lots to make us think God's not in control. 
And of course, it wasn't that much different for the Ephesian church too. You might remember, if you were here last week, I told you that Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the world, this huge temple. And you think, you know, marching in Ooga or whatever they call it down the street once a year is a, is a, is a bit of pagan worship in our city. I think there's a little bit more going on when you've got one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple to Artemis, in the middle of your city. I have no doubt that the Ephesians would look around and if they got their perspective wrong, could think, there's no way God is in charge. No way. Look at all of this. But that's why Paul prayed that they would know his power his resurrection and ruling power, that they would be transformed by a knowledge of him and not let the world shape how they understood things. Because as we get to know God and know his power, we can actually start to see things for how they really are. We can see the power of God at work in our lives as he grows our faith, as he uh, enables us to stand up for what we believe him, as he calls us into his fellowship uh, and as we love one another. as he causes us to trust him more and more, as we grow in our knowledge and love of him, as we take a risk trusting in his power and see that even if we're defeated out there in the world, we know that one day God will vindicate us. And let me just now give a little plug for why it's great to care about mission, overseas mission. Because overseas mission is another great way to get yourself, get your perspective right about who God really truly is and the kind of God we worship, the God who does change lives every day, the God who works powerfully in spite of this world. While we were at CMS Spur Conference, we heard from the um, Archbishop of the Indian Ocean, the Seashells, Mauritius and Madagascar. And he told us a remarkable story, a story of how that part of the world has grown from uh, three dioceses, dioceses, this is just the Anglican Church, to eight. Madagascar in particular, from one to six. And he told us a story of how the church spent some time in the south of Madagascar and uh, provided some wells for people there. And the people asked, why would you do this for us? And where did this money come from? And the church told them, it came from people who love Jesus because they love you because God loves you. And after they told this good news story of, of a God who loves them, of, of Jesus, who cared for them and of people whose lives had been changed by Jesus wanting to change these people's lives, guess what happened? Five to six thousand people got baptised. Isn't that amazing? Five to six, that's just mind-blowing. I once baptised 80 people in a river in Cambodia and I thought that was a large amount of people but it turns out that's nothing. Our world is a big world and God is a big God. 
He is not a God of decline. He is a God of resurrecting and ruling power. And he is at work all over this world, changing lives. You know, I heard another fascinating story while I was away this weekend, or this week, that the Anglican Church in Nigeria, as they gather on Sunday, might not quite be Sunday in Nigeria yet, there'll be more people gathering to worship God in the Anglican Church in Nigeria than in the Anglican Church in the United States, Canada, uh, England, Australia and New Zealand combined. God is powerfully at work in this world. So may we trust and get to know the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, and may he continue to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that our hearts may be enlightened, our hope renewed, and our trust in his power unshakable. Amen. Amen.